You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Adam Mutasib. One audio note about today's podcast. Due to some technical difficulties, the first five minutes are pretty hard to hear, but hang in there. At the five and a half minute mark, things will improve dramatically. Thanks for your patience, everyone. Good morning, church. I'm Adam. I'm a pastor here. You need some. 
drug dealing guy, get a lot of control, the three months in, in discovery, you really have to make a problem. And you start this new job and you tweet it, best job ever, love my coworkers, love my boss, you're telling all your friends, I love my job. Six months in, you hate the job. As that happens, it's that thing. Most of life, we start out with running the other because what was under the surface wasn't what was in front of the surface. And that's true almost every year, seven or less. When Jesus enters the shop, they don't put holes in it. Rather, we discover this baby and you would be amazed. Like the ocean depths, the deeper we descend into the heart of Christ, the more bewildered and awestruck we become. I went to this website where you can scroll down and as you scroll you see how far the, the ocean goes and the different angles you find each foot level. Did you know the ocean goes further than the height of Mount Everest? Like you just keep going. And then you, you get lower and lower and you see these animals you're like, what? This is on Earth? They, you know, they carry glow sticks on their head. Sharp teeth. How are they surviving at this pressure level and this depth? You're amazed and you discover I don't really know much, do I? And the more we uncover the heart of Jesus, we realize the more we don't know and the more loved we are. You know, we, as a church, we can and we should discuss the things that Christ has done. Here at RCC, we love doctrine. We love teaching what Jesus has accomplished. But equally important is discovering who Christ is. See, learning what Christ has done, it will encourage you. Learning who He is, it will change you. I love the way Dane Ortland says this. He says, a wife may tell you much about her husband, his height, his eye color, his eating habits, his education, his job, his handiness around the house, his best friends, his hobbies, his Myers-Briggs personality profile, his favorite sports team. But what can she say to communicate his knowing gaze across the table over a dinner at their favorite restaurant? That look that reflects years of ever-deepening friendship, thousands of conversations and arguments through which they have safely come, a time ripened settling into the assurance of embrace, come what may. The, that glance that speaks in a moment his loving protection more clearly than a thousand words. In short, what can she say to communicate to another her husband's heart for her? It is one thing to describe what your husband says and does and looks like. It is something else, something deeper and more real to describe his heart for you. Well, let's take a look at Jesus' glance across the table to us today and see his heart for us. Now, if you were to uncover and pull back the layers of Jesus and see him at his very heart, what will we find? What do you find at the core of Jesus? You find love. An endless stream of love. Jesus delights to love sinners. Jesus' heart overflows with affection for broken people. And it brings joy, Jesus joy to sacrifice his comfort for your good. And I'll prove it to you. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 2. The author of Hebrews writes this. If you look at verse 1, he says, Let's run our race with endurance. So you got a Christian race, you're a running Christian. Run your race with endurance. And here's what I want you to do. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's break that down. First at the beginning, looking to Jesus. So you run your race, first thing, last thing, everything, look to Jesus. What a great summary of what it means to be a Christian. One who looks to Jesus. In the Greek, that word looking literally means taking your eye off everything else and fixing your eyes on one person, Jesus. As a climber is dangling from a cliff, he has his carabiner in hand and is looking to connect it to the rope. The one thing that's going to save him from a sure descent, the way the climber looks to the rope is the way we fix our eyes on Christ. For he is the only thing that keeps us from descending. If we miss him, we fall. Why? Because as the text says, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Perfector is kind of a weird, weird word. What does it mean to be a perfecter of your faith? Essentially, it means to be the champion of our faith. He's the trailblazer of our faith. Jesus is the Jackie Robinson of our faith. As Steve Jobs was to Apple, so Jesus is to your faith. He founded it, he invented it, he perfected it, and it's all his work. Now, Jesus is the founder and the champion and the pioneer of our faith. Why? Two reasons. Number one, he's the source of our faith, and he's the model of our faith. Number one, he's the source, meaning we get our faith and we get our salvation from him, from his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. He has become the source of our salvation. Hey, where'd you get that quote for your research paper? I got it from that book. Where'd you get those apples? Well, I got it from that farmer's market. Where'd you get the righteousness needed to be accepted by God? I got it from Christ. Jesus is the source of our faith. And then secondly, He's the model of our faith. He's the model in that all that we seek to do, your number one goal in life, is to simply become more like Him. Our immutable destiny, according to Romans chapter 8, is to be made like Him. Meaning God is bending all of history like a blacksmith bends hot metal to make you more like Jesus. Everything in your life is headed in that direction if you're in Christ. And so we spend every day looking at Him, leaning on Him. He's the source of our faith. We don't have faith without Him. We don't have salvation without Him. And He's the model of our faith. We're trying to become like Him. And so as a drowning sailor fixes his eyes on the oncoming rescue boat, as we are full of sorrows and troubles and disappointments, we fix our eyes on the rescue boat. We fix our eyes on Christ. And Hebrews 12 tells us that this is such good news. Jesus isn't bothered to be our rescuer. He, he doesn't hate that He has to come save us. In fact, out of His love overflows enjoyment to do it. He doesn't approach us with the obligation of a stepdad picking up his stepkid at his friend's house at 2 a.m. in the morning. I gotta do this. This is the right thing to do. Jesus enjoys running to broken people like you, like me. See, overflowing from His depths, from His very inner being is affection for you, a sinner. And in fact, He is so pleased to save you, the text says that He calls the cross 
a joy. The text says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. This verse is the equivalent of saying, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the colonoscopy. <laughs> I don't understand how a colonoscopy could be joy. You have to drink all that nasty liquid, and then, you know, they do the thing. Okay. <laughs> That's not joyful. There'll be prayer available afterwards if anyone's been through a colonoscopy and needs some encouragement or pastoral care. How is a colonoscopy joy? How is the cross joy? Because of what was awaiting on the other side. On the other side of the bloody cross awaited something that was worth it. Something that brought Jesus so much pleasure that the cross became a joy. You see, on the other side of the cross was Jesus' joy of seeing his people forgiven and made new. You know, when I tell my son, Aiden, it's time to clean your room. He doesn't want to clean his room. But when I tell him, there's a donut waiting for you on the other side of a clean room, he gets right to work smiling. <laughs> When God tells Christ, on the other side of the cross is a redeemed people, Jesus gets right to work, smiling. Not because he has to, because he wants to. Jesus' own joy, his own happiness, and his own glory are increased and enlarged when he shows mercy and grace, when he pardons, when he relieves, when he comforts, and when he dies for his people. Somehow, in the very character of Christ, it pleases him to give even a great cost to himself. Jesus loves loving so much that he's joyful to go hang on a cross to do it. Innate in Jesus isn't just the desire to love and to give. Jesus is love. Jesus is giving. He's the personification of love and giving. If you and Jesus are at a restaurant and the bill comes, he's not calculating whether he wants to pay for the appetizer. He is snatching the check, reaching across the table. He's saying, I'm taking all of it. I want to bless you, even if it costs me. If you and Jesus make a spill at a friend's house, he isn't pointing the finger. He's saying, oh, this is my fault. I'm sorry. He's shouldering the blame for us. If Jesus is in a hurry and you've had a bad day, he's not moving long. He's stopping and pausing and throwing his calendar away to look you in the eye and to comfort you and to spend time with you. Because you're not inconvenienced to him. You're a joy to him. Jesus delights to inconvenience himself for you. Why? It's because you're worthy of his love. Because you're so special. Because you have so much to offer him in the universe. No! You're a mess. We just need to spend a day following you around and we'll find tons of evidence of that truth. In fact, the scriptures say that you were Jesus' enemy. Your sin has separated you from God. Now, Jesus went to the cross. 
He died for you because at the very center of his being is an avalanche of love. It's just who he is. He can't help but love. We have trouble believing that, don't we? I have trouble believing that. You know, I tend to think Jesus approaches me the way I approach my dog's poop for the first time. Put a bag on my hand, reached out at arm's length, and the minute I made contact, I ah! quickly wrapped it around, felt weirdly warm, and as soon as I could, I threw it in the trash. That's poor theology. Friend, the scriptures tell us that reaching over a cross to get us was a joy for Jesus. If he saw you today, he'd hug you. The cross was the Red Sea that Jesus parted to lead us to his love. You know, as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane moments before he'd be crucified or hours before he'd be crucified, what kept Jesus going? Though he sweat drops of blood, though he begged God for another way, he didn't want to face the wrath of God. He didn't want to face the shameful arrest and the angry mobs and the 40 lashes and the, the mocking and the nails and the hanging naked publicly for all to see. What kept him going? Hebrews 12 tells us it was the joyous anticipation of seeing his people made invincibly clean. You see, when we come to Christ empty-handed, Sinful, but ready to be made clean. It brings Jesus great joy. It's the very reason he went to the cross. Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, that Jesus and the multitudes in heaven throw a celebration every time one sinner throws in the towel and embraces Christ's love and forgiveness. And Jesus wants us to draw strength from His love today. If you're a Christian, His love is meant to embolden you. But the only ones qualified to come and receive His love are sinners recognizing they are in need of undeserving love. That is the minimum bar. And the giving of this undeserved love is Jesus' greatest joy. And those of us who are in His care today, we never tire of going to the endless spring of His love. Let's go to His love today. Let's enjoy it. And the text ends in verse 2 by saying that Christ now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, if you read the best rest of the book of Hebrews, it says that Christ is advocating for us before the Father, loving us even in the throne room. He's still pouring mercy out to us. You see, if you're a Christian today, we don't just come to Christ once for forgiveness, though we certainly receive an eternal pardon when we do come for the first time. God never intended that we would come once. He, would, he intended that we come to Him every day. The way we go to water is the way we go to Christ. Every day begins crawling to Jesus for more love. And it ends for crawling to Jesus for more love. And each day... It says, the word says, He has new mercies to give to us. How great is that? You can start each day with new mercies, different mercies. The manner in which a father urges his child, his asthmatic child, to hold on to his inhaler is the manner in which the father urges us to hold to Christ. 
He is our heir. And Jesus will never stop healing. He will never stop forgiving. He will never stop loving. He will never stop holding. He will never stop delighting in us. And we see this as we look at his life on earth in the Gospels. You know, the leper, this one who was unclean, ostracized by society, he says, Lord, if you desire, you can make me clean. What does Jesus say to the leper in response? That is my desire. If you look at the Greek, Jesus is essentially saying, that is my deepest wish, to make you clean. You know, a group of men later will go to the extremes of ripping off a roof to drop their paralyzed friend down so that he can meet Jesus. And before these men can even open their mouths, before the paralyzed man can say a word, Jesus shouts, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus can't help but extend mercy. It's in his very being. It's just who he is. The Gospels frequently say that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. So he teaches them and he feeds them and he wipes away their tears. You know, the Greek word for compassion is the same word used throughout all the Gospels describing Jesus' compassion. And it's most literally the bowels, the guts of a person. Essentially, it's saying that overflowing from Jesus' inner being is a compassion that cannot be pushed down. He can't help but seek out the broken and the helpless. So much so, he was labeled a friend of sinners. He's always around sinners. Why? Because he loves healing sinners. Only twice in the Gospels does Jesus break down and cry. And both times are not instances of his own pain, but sorrow over others' pain. First he weeps for Jerusalem, and then he weeps at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. What is Jesus' deepest anguish? It's the anguish of others. And what, is Jesus, what draws Jesus' heart to tears? The tears of others. The Jesus we see in the Gospels is not simply a God who loves, but again, it is a God who is love. And as Thomas Goodwin put it, Christ is love covered in flesh. You pull back the layers of an onion, what do you find? More onion. Pull back the layers of Christ, what do you find? More love. And we can rejoice that this Jesus, according to Hebrews 13.8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus who roamed the earth healing sinners is the same Jesus at the right hand of the Father loving you today, now, in this moment. The Jesus who wept by the tomb of Jerusalem holds us as we weep. The Jesus who put his arm around a demon-possessed man puts his arm around us when we feel overwhelmed and dejected and misunderstood. The same Jesus who reached out and cleansed many sinners sits on the throne today, ready to answer our half-hearted pleas for mercy with mighty, invincible cleansing that he cannot bear to do otherwise. And Jesus has even sent his spirit to dwell in us, who not only touches us, but lives within us, ready to do the work Christ has begun. I love the way Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, it's a book I would compel to you, Gentle and Lowly. It's a great, great book. Just exploring the heart of Christ. And uh, Ortland tells a wonderful illustration about the joy Christ receives to manifest his love to sinners. 
like we see in Hebrews 12 too. This is what Orland says. This is an illustration or a parable of sorts that he, he shares. He says, A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in, he has correctly diagnosed the problem, and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. But finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. How much more if the disease are not strangers, but his own family? So with us, and so with Christ. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to Him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and with need and with emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what He came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out to the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to His people. And so we go to the great physician who has joy in healing us. What's at the very heart of Jesus, friend? It's His love. And how is His love manifested? How is it displayed? Through His generosity to us. I know and I recognize in this hard season and uh, a tough year for many of us in countless ways, you might not feel all that loved. You might not feel like God is being particularly generous to you. You might have needs that are not being met. Or a year's unanswered prayer. God might feel distant to you as you sit quarantined in your home. But even in those times of doubt, we can be assured of Christ's generosity and love to us. Simply by looking at Calvary. Because at Calvary, on the cross, Jesus met your greatest need. The need above all needs to be healed of your sin. At the cross, Jesus became the yes and amen to your wildest prayers to be made right with God. So any other prayer that is answered is bonus. And at Calvary, Yahweh was not distant, but present, fleshly, earthy, destructible. And yes, He was destroyed. He became present for us. You see, Jesus' generosity is written all of your life, namely, and most clearly, on a dark morning in Jerusalem in the first century, when He gave His heart to cleanse yours. You see, Jesus was so loving and so generous that for Him to do that was a joy. He gave up His most valuable possession, His own life, so we could re receive the benefits that should have only been reserved for Him. You know how you can tell when someone is really generous? When they genuinely delight to give. You ever meet somebody like that? Like, you're stealing my blessing if you don't let me buy your dinner. Or give you this gift. Or take you on this trip. I love those people. Like, give me a lot of those people. <laughs> they love to give. 
Jesus is the personification of that form of generosity because he is genuinely joyful to go to the cross for us, to give up his life. He's so generous. And here's the even greater news for us that we can't even comprehend. We haven't even really begun to taste the true extent of his generosity. We're like a four-year-old at the gates of Disney World. We have no idea what lays ahead. Oh, there's Mickey. There's Goofy. I see some rides in the distance. Son, you have no idea the world that awaits you beyond these gates. You can't even comprehend Epcot. First Corinthians 2 9 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This text tells us that there is no method of comprehension available to the human body. Your eyes can't see it enough, your brain can't understand it enough, your ears can't hear it enough to really get the wonderful things God generously has prepared for those who love him. And why do we even love him? Because he first loved us. Do you see the generosity of God to you? And in fact, Jesus' generosity to us is the very reason Jesus commands us to thus be generous with those around us. He says in Luke chapter 12, he says, Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasures in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus says, go be generous. Why? Because God has already been generous with you, and you have a real treasure awaiting you in heaven, given to you by the Father. Thus, you're freed up to be generous now. And this allows us to respond like Zacchaeus in the Gospels. You remember wee little Zacchaeus? The guy who looked like Danny DeVito? Short guy that no one liked. I'd imagine Zacchaeus was bald. I don't know, I'm just picturing him in my mind. You know, in the Gospels, he climbs this tree because he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus is like, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your place for dinner tonight. That's a bold statement. Hey, I'm coming to your place for dinner and you're cooking. And Zacchaeus, at his own house, at dinner with Jesus, for the first time, discovers the heart of Christ. Maybe like you're discovering right now. And what happens? Instantly, Zacchaeus is transformed into a generous man. He takes, after he meets Jesus, half of everything he owned and instantly gave it back to God. Can you just imagine with me giving half of everything you own back to God today? Like, just think about the logistical challenge that would be. I have two TVs, okay? I need to sell one, keep the other. I have two couches, sell one, keep the other. I have two cars, sell one, keep the other. Half my bank account instantly given to God. And then after he gave half of everything, he then paid back those he stole from four times over. Why did he do all this? Because his money wasn't his security anymore. His money wasn't his idol anymore. Jesus took that throne. And now money became the tool he used to display the same love Jesus had just given him. 
You see, that's what happens when you see the heart of Christ. When you see a Savior who delights to lavish us with His grace and His gifts beyond our comprehension, it has a trickle-down effect on you. You start doing the same thing. You start to enjoy giving. And friends, you and I have the same identity as we little Zacchaeus. We have been transformed into generous men and women. All because we've become sons and daughters of a generous father. Thus, we know our identity as generous sons and daughters. Your identity is the child of a heavenly father so generous that he would give up his only begotten son. Your identity is the servant of a Messiah so generous that he called the cross of joy. And your identity is the soldier filled with the generous Holy Spirit who is so generous that he graciously, graciously, patiently endures as you sin and grieve him and all on the way is continuing to mold us into the image of Christ. You see, the entire Trinity is working together in unity to richly bless us beyond anything we deserve. And as saints saved by this triune God, our very identity is to perpetuate this type of giving to the world around us. And particularly to the church of God, who is established to reach the nations with this love. And so friends, as we prepare to end our 100 years for the city campaign next week, we're approaching an opportunity to reflect on the generous heart of God. And to respond with similar generosity back to Him. You know, as believers, we should be expressing our generosity always. But this 100 Years for the City project is an excellent opportunity to manifest your generosity back to God. For those of you who call RCC Home, we are encouraging you and asking you and inviting you to give to establishing us, buying this building so we can have a permanent home and be a church for the next 100 years in the city. And all of us are stretching together. We're giving in big faith together. Everybody's pitching in together so that we can see this vision become a reality. You know, my wife told me this story last week. I've never heard this before, and I, I love this story. She said that uh, during Christmas one year, you know, usually uh, she, my wife, and her siblings, when they were kids, they would each buy their mom a separate individual gift. And, you know, when you get gifts from your kids, you don't really want them, but it's cute and nice that you get them. Well, one year at Christmas, they were so moved by their, their mom's generosity to them and serving, like she was driving around everywhere, cooking everything. You know, she's just a great mom to, the, to those three kids. And so they decided to work together in unity and pool all their money together to be particularly generous to buy one combined gift for their mom, this expensive necklace. And that unified generosity brought the family closer together. The siblings felt like they had accomplished something beautiful together. And their mom was wowed on Christmas morning. She actually opened a gift from her kids that she wanted. <laughs> you see, there's something so special when we work together, unified, to express generosity. Even if generosity is already part of your DNA. And here's the beautiful thing about generosity in the kingdom. It's all grace. It's all grace. No one needs to give out of compulsion. No one is shamed or guilted into giving. You are already perfectly accepted by Christ, though you provided nothing. No one here is pressuring you to give. 
So next week as we approach Commitment Sunday, where we all pool together to give towards this vision, we are encouraging to give in thankfulness, in response to His generosity, in grace, which means no one has to, but you're all invited to. We see the generous heart of Christ, and we invite you to give generously back to Him and His mission in the world. And this generosity is not something we want from you, but something we want for you. We want you to experience the exhilarating joy of Zacchaeus. You think he came out of the house giving half of everything he wanted? He was like, dang it, I have to do this. He's like, are you kidding me? This grace? Take half, God. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. As we prepare for Commitment Sunday next week, I want to encourage you to get alone with the Lord and pray. And just talk to Him. And ask for His help in knowing what He is leading you to give towards this vision. You know, in Sherry and I were talking about how much we'd give to 100 Years for the City at the beginning of this uh, project and this investment campaign. We came up with the number together. We thought it was pretty sacrificial. But throughout this series, we've been praying and asking God to stretch us. To reflect His heart. The same generosity He's expressed to us, we want to express to Him. And so as we prayed and talked, we found that the number kept growing. And now at the end of the series, towards the end, we've landed at a number further than when we were started. Because we felt the Lord compelling us to reflect His heart of generosity. And so when you pray with the Lord and ask Him to give you clarity, He often speaks and stretches us. And let me encourage you, too, that Adam and I, Pastor Adam and I, are not asking you or, uh, to do something that we're not willing to do first. Our families are first giving sacrificially to this investment campaign, and we want to share with you what we're giving. And you might be thinking, doesn't the Bible say not to share how much you give? Isn't it supposed to be given in secret? Sometimes, but not always. In fact, if you look at the Bible in 1 Chronicles 29... King David is leading Israel to build a temple, which will be the dwelling place of God. And King David actually shares the specific amount he is giving towards the building of that temple. And he doesn't do it to be showy, he does it to encourage his people, like we're giving first, join us as we all give together. I'll read just the first part. Uh, I find it very encouraging. David and the, the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. He's talking about the temple. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and, and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I gave it to the house of my God, 3,000 talents of gold, and of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? David's like, I'm giving exactly this amount I want to encourage you to give to. And we find the rest of 1 Chronicles 29 that Israel is extremely generous and joins David and they build the temple, which changes history. Now, I know we're not building the dwelling place of God. <laughs> we're not building a temple. But 
the scriptures say that the church, the gathered body of believers, is the new dwelling place of God, is the body of Christ. And so as we purchase this facility, we are creating a home for us where the body can gather together. The church isn't a building, it's a people. And so we are buying a building to use for the people to then bless our city and reach with the, name, with the gospel. And so I think we can follow the same pattern. And so I want to share with you what the elders and the staff are giving. Together, we have committed $24,350 as a staff. Each of us, our individual families, giving out of our own pockets towards this vision. And so with the amount uh, we've raised from external support, plus the amount that the staff is giving, that brings our total so far for our $750,000 goal to $500,000. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're already two-thirds of the way towards our goal. And we haven't had commitment Sunday yet. And so God's done all this already. We're giving, we're leading out and giving first. I want to encourage you to get along with the Lord and ask Him, Lord, I'm so amazed by your grace. All I have is yours. How much would you have me give towards your mission in Baltimore City? And the financial number is not what we're after. We're not after a big amount necessarily. We're after big sacrifice. To some of you, $100 is a massive faith gift. You just got furloughed, you're in college, or med school. $100 seems like a lot. And for some of you, $10,000 is not a faith-stretching gift. You're comfortable. And God is challenging you to get to His mission. I'm not sure what the sacrifice looks like for you and your family, but I want to encourage you to get along with the Lord and ask Him to lead you to step out in faith, a gift that will cause you to have to trust Him to come through. That's what our family's doing. We want to invite you to do the same. And if you're hearing this and you get weirded out about money and church and all that, I understand there's been a lot of bad examples out there in this world. If you're feeling resistance about giving, if you don't like being stretched to give, perhaps you're even questioning your need to forgive or to give, I want to challenge you to take some time to consider what you're not believing about God's lavish generosity to you. Jesus' heart overflows with generosity and love to you. And so maybe today, stepping out in faith is not about giving your money, but instead giving your whole heart to Christ. In saying, God, you can have all of me. I believe in your sacrifice on the cross, and I want you to have my life. That is the first gift God requires of us to give to him. And so if you are uh, feeling led to invest in his mission here at RCC, here's how you can give. On your share is a pledge card, like this one right here. And if you're watching online, you can go to rccbaltimore.org slash 100 years rccbaltimore.org slash 100 years and you'll find this pledge card on there and on this pledge card you'll see that there are two ways to give you can give a one-time upfront amount towards the down payment of the building or you can commit to a pledge for the next two years either weekly monthly or yearly maybe you don't have a lot of liquid cash right now and you still want to give and so you, you're committing to uh, give up Starbucks for a week, every week, uh, for two years, excuse me. 
So I'm going to get $5 a week instead of getting my pumpkin spice latte. Uh, or maybe uh, you have cable and you're willing to cancel cable and get $50 a month for the next two years. No one watches cable anyway. Come on, get with the times. So, uh, whatever it is for you, uh, there are multiple ways to give. This isn't a, about the amount. Again, this is about God stretching you in your faith. And uh, Adam and I, Pastor Adam and I, are doing both. We're giving a one-time gift up front on Sunday, Commitment Sunday next week, and we're committing to a two-year pledge for the next two years. And these gifts are meant to be above and beyond your regular giving to your home church. You know, whenever we get a paycheck, we're first supposed to respond by giving uh, the first fruits, the Bible calls it, to God. Uh, and this is an invitation to give above and beyond your regular tithe or giving towards this project. And so as you pray about what the Lord is leading you to give, I want to encourage you to take this pledge card home with you today and pray over it with your family or with your gospel community or with your stoop group. And whenever we commit to giving a big gift to God, we are asking Him to provide and to deepen our trust in His providence and His power. So ask God through 100 years for the city to give you a greater trust in Him and His power. He's certainly grown my faith through this project, and I pray He does the same for you. And that starts by stretching ourselves. And so next week, after the whole church commits, we give our one-time gifts and make our two-year pledges, what we're going to do is we're going to add up all the gifts and uh, calculate how much was given. And then two weeks after that, on Sunday, December 6th, we're going to have Celebration Sunday, celebrating how much God has provided for our church family towards this project. And we know already that God is going to exceed our expectations because He's already exceeded them. Uh, and so we anticipate we'll have a lot to celebrate on Celebration Sunday. So come back next Sunday with this pledge card, ready to fill it out or fill it out, or we'll have some available for you next Sunday. You can fill it out then. Come ready with your upfront first-time gifts, ready to give. You can even do it online next week. I'm ready to make a pledge. And let's see what God does through this vision uh, for His glory as we reflect on His generosity. He's been so good to us, hasn't He? And so we're like Zacchaeus saying, God, it's all yours anyway. How much do you want me to give? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise You for Your grace, that Your heart overflows with love for us. I pray that those who are sitting here would know how much they are loved by You. I pray for those who are watching online, hearing this, that they would know how much You care for them. And I pray as we reflect on your generosity and love, it's abounding unto us. It would change our hearts, and we would respond like Zacchaeus, ready to give back to your mission and vision. And I pray for 100 years for the city, that you would provide for our goal, and that you would allow us to purchase this building so that we can be a church for the next 100 years, preaching the gospel, planting more churches, and seeing you do work uh, for the good of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find another message or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church Podcast.